The, uh, the famous preacher, Phillips Brooks, once taught a class of students that a sermon is 30 minutes to raise the dead. So tell a story. 30 minutes to raise the dead. On, on Easter, that's 18 minutes to raise the dead and they're Presbyterians. So it better be a really good story. Jesus told stories all the time because stories show that life is not what you think it is. Stories show that you don't know what's coming next. And so we told all kinds of stories. My, my favorite probably is about a, a rich man who has a son and the son comes up to him and says, hey dad, the reality is that I love your money more than I love you. You think I could get my money? And the dad gives him his inheritance and he takes off. What happens next? That's why you tell a story. Jesus wanted to make sure that people were leaning in, that things aren't the way that you think they are. And so he told stories. On this Easter morning, I'd like to tell you a story and our tradition is that when the story of the gospel is read, we all stand together. This, uh, this part of the story comes from Luke's book, and it starts like this. It says, now that same day, that day that the women went to the tomb and found it empty, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking about everything that had happened, and as they talked, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they weren't able to recognize who he was. He asked, what are you talking about? And they stopped, downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? And Jesus says, oh, what, what happened? It's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they, they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Now, even more, it's been three days and some of the women went to the tomb early this morning and they couldn't find his body. They came back and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of our friends ran to the tomb, but they didn't find anything. They didn't see Jesus. And the Easter is about seeing Jesus. So they're walking along. They're walking on the road, and Jesus said to them, Oh, you fools with slow hearts, you idiots. After all that the prophets have spoken, didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And as they walked along, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, as they approached Emmaus, Jesus continued as if he were going on further, but they urged him, stay with us, it's almost night. So he came in, and when he was at the table, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. He began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, wasn't your heart burning inside you when he was talking on the road? 
And they got up and ran back to Jerusalem, that seven miles, and met with the eleven and the others. And they said, it's true, the Lord has risen. And the other said, we know, he's talked to Peter. And then the two on the road told what had happened on the way and how they had recognized Jesus when Jesus broke the bread. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I, uh, I'm not sure how that first talk about seeing Jesus went, but I'm pretty sure it was not like this. Some guy with a whatever color tie this is talking to a thousand people who sit there listening, knowing how the story's going to end as I talk for 15 minutes. I, it was more alive. It, it was one person starting out and saying, and then we were here, and then somebody interrupts and says, well, what did he say? And somebody else says, what did you say? What happened next? What did he look like? What do you remember? That's the way a story gets told. What, what stayed with them out of that story? I just told you a story. As you go to lunch, what are you going to remember? What phrases will you remember out of this story? If somebody asks you over uh, Pass Me the Ham, what was the phrase that stuck with you? What will you tell them? As I sat with this story this week, I, I thought of four phrases that, that stuck with me. The, the first is the most obvious. The most obvious part of this story was that Jesus comes up and he's walking right alongside of them and they don't even recognize who he is. The first phrase is, we didn't even recognize him. How could that be? Really? How could you know somebody intimately for years and not even understand that they're with you? It'd be as if somebody was sitting there right in the room with you and you didn't even know that they were there because you were distracted and they didn't look the way that they usually look. And, and all of a sudden, right in that same room, they move and you see that they're there. They've been there all along. Or you have somebody that you know and a friend and you're, you're opening your heart to them, telling them your deepest truths and all of a sudden they turn to you and they're somebody else. We didn't recognize him. The power of the Easter story is that somehow Jesus is supposed to join you on the road. Me. The most striking thing for me about the Easter story is that nobody recognizes Jesus. Mary thinks he's the gardener in the cemetery. Peter's out fishing. He thinks he's just some guy on the shore saying, are they biting? Cleopas here on the road thinks it's somebody just walking along, trying to pass the time as they walk the road together. I don't, I don't know if it's really that much different today. I, I, I don't know how the stranger on the road might first appear to you, but if it's Jesus, if that stranger is the risen Christ, he will not appear the way that you expect. And most of that is because you have fairly clear expectations of what God is like. We've built this image of God from our childhood and our experiences and what we've read and what we saw in church. We know what God looks like, and you're not like that at all. And part of it is we not only have a sense of God, we know what the God or gods are supposed to do. 
Laura is um, right now preaching over in Shakopee. And she's telling them Easter is like a huge mountain. Picture a huge, miles-high mountain. And we're all stuck in a pit in the valley way, way, way below. And at the top of the hill, there are the great religious figures of our world. There's, there's Confucius. And there's Jesus. And there's the Buddha. And there's Muhammad. They're on the top of the mountain. And they are calling down to us, look, if there's a path to the left, take, take the, no, not that left, your other left. Take the path. No, turn, turn around. No, don't push her down. Come on, up, 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 come up, come up. I'll throw you a note. It'll show you the next step. The idea that as they yell down to us, we can climb the mountain and meet them in heaven. That's what religion is about. Christianity is different than that. All the religious figures are up here. Christianity is the story of how God comes down from the top of the mountain, down into the valley, down into the pit, and rescues us. Doesn't give us a map and say, see you at the top. Says, I'm with you and I'll never leave you. His love and his presence give us new life. At Easter, the risen Christ walks with us. He says, there's nowhere that you can go that I haven't been. You can't get so lost that I won't be able to find you. Find you. The problem is, will you recognize him on the journey? He's not up there. He has come down for us. The second phrase that strikes me is maybe the most honest one. Jesus says, well, what's wrong? And the guy stops and he said, well, they, they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the way. He, he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They're on the road to Emmaus. Now, one of the things you guys know, I'm sure, is that they're on the wrong road, right? They're only seven miles from Jerusalem, but they're on the wrong road. If you listen to the stories when the resurrected Jesus appears or when the angels appear, they are told one of two things. Either you're to stay in Jerusalem till he comes and talks to you, or go up into the Galilee and he'll meet you there. The road to Emmaus is neither of those places. These guys are on another road because their hopes have been dashed. The road to Emmaus is a, a bad road to be on. What road are you on today? My friend who's the president of Princeton says, uh, Emmaus is a place that people go to to get away from disappointment. Emmaus is where we go when we have to get away because the person or the event or the thing we were counting on let us down. Maybe the road to Emmaus is that road back home and you don't want to go. Maybe the disappointments on the road to a new job or to work Maybe Emmaus leads to a church that keeps letting you down. Emmaus does not have to be very far away. It's, it's only about seven miles, it says, from your last disappointment. It's probably less than seven miles to your next disappointment. It's a road we all spend a lot of time on, and we don't recognize who's with us. One of the things that is a persistent cultural myth in America 
is that you can get off that road and you can get on the road to fulfillment. Ours is a culture of fulfillment. If you will just buy this, if you will just do this, you will be fine. You will be fulfilled. Wall Street spends trillions trying to show us what fulfillment can be. Hollywood spends billions trying to show us what fulfillment looks like. The problem is the church does the same thing. Christianity offers a road to fulfillment. Now think about it this way. Don't you get the idea that when you come to church that, that you're only one book away from fulfillment? You're only one sermon shy of having it all together. Not this sermon, folks. You're only one sermon shy. You're only one significant experience or insight short of enlightenment. So if you go to another church and you get slain in the Holy Spirit, or you go to a marriage retreat that's dynamite, or you go on a mission trip, or you get involved in a real church with real believers who have a challenging community, or you, you give more, or you pray more, then you'll be fulfilled. I think that's a myth. I think it's the road to Emmaus. It, it's a lie. And the reason I think it's a lie is because I, I don't see fulfillment this side of the grave promised in Scripture. I, I see joy promised on the journey. I see peace being given. I, I see hope that won't let go. But I also think that the road is supposed to include tribulation. That you cannot avoid soul-piercing sorrow. And that's why the guy says, but, but we had hoped, and it didn't turn out, but we had hoped, and it put them on the wrong road because their hope was in the wrong place for the wrong thing. What are you putting your hope in today? Is it in being a nice guy or a good woman? And you hope that'll do the right thing? The, the third phrase that, that hit me hard this week was Jesus himself. The disciples give their tale of woe, and Jesus says, oh, it'll be okay, it's just fine. No, he says, you idiots! He says, oh, you fools with slow hearts. you got to think that that was a hint that it really was Jesus. He'd been saying that for years to him. But he says, you have slow hearts, that means you're slow to realize that the Messiah's path is through suffering and not through triumph. Jesus reminds them that the promise of Moses, the promise of the prophets, was never that the Messiah was there to restore their dreams. Different story. The Messiah had not come to bring the good life to his followers. Different story. What is the story? Well, C.S. Lewis knows it pretty well. He, he said it this way to people who don't know much about Jesus. He said, the central Christian belief is that Christ's death, not his triumph, not his power, not his teachings, not his miracle, Christ's death has somehow put us right with God. 
and it's given us and our world a fresh start. There's a lot of theories about how that works. The important thing is that Christians agree that it does work. We're told Christ was killed for us. His death washed out our sins and that by him dying, he disabled death itself. He brings eternal life back with him. That's Christianity. That is what has to be believed. That is what Jesus was trying to explain on the road to disappointment. Oh, you fools, you got slow hearts. I love that image, you have slow hearts. Because that leads to the last phrase. The last phrase is contrasting slow hearts with this phrase. Didn't our hearts burn when he opened the scriptures? The Apostle Paul says... I pray God will open the eyes, not of your head, but of your heart. And as you walk that road with Jesus today, things are not what they look like. And instead of having a slow heart, it's, didn't our hearts burn inside us? What's the condition of your heart today? And I know some of you, I know some of you are soft-hearted. You, you cry at the sight of a puppy. Some of you are hard-hearted. You kick cats. <laughs> some of you are broken-hearted. Some are half-hearted. You go either way. Some of you are a little bit cold-hearted. Many of you, maybe even most of us, have hearts that are on autopilot. We're just going through the day. Whoever thinks about it, How's my heart doing right now? If I stop, what will my heart say to me? You're you're slow-hearted. Jesus wants to make your heart beat a little faster. He wants to make our hearts start to burn. If Paul says, I pray that God will open the eyes of your heart, Jesus wants to light your heart on fire so you don't live normal. Things are not as they seem. God could use even me. You are called to live with a burning heart. Not perfect, not religious, but alive with hope so that Jesus can walk along the road with you and together you might bless other people. Wouldn't you like to live like that for a change instead of being angry or cautious or fearful, or looking for what will work. Wouldn't you like to come to life? It's not often pleasant. Sometimes it's very painful. But wouldn't you like to feel that your one and only life really means something, that it has eternal significance? Wouldn't you like to believe that the God of the universe is walking right next to you right now, and he's saying to you, hey, Things aren't what they seem. I I love the stories. And one of the things I like most is that they're so much more realistic than the stories that I, I told my kids to get them to bed. This story, uh, for instance, ends with the disciples all gathering together back in Jerusalem and telling each other, I saw him, no, I saw him, no, I saw him. And all of a sudden, they're talking about seeing him and he's there. Right in the middle, it says. 
And he says, peace be with you. And they all screamed like they saw a ghost. They're still not ready to see him. As a matter of fact, Matthew tells the story, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. No grammar in the sentence at all. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Just one long sentence. How about you? You ever struggle like that? You ever have doubts? You ever wonder if you're seeing the real Jesus or is this the Pez dispenser American version of Christianity? You ever feel that somehow you're out on that road to Emmaus, disappointed with your faith? Or what if your challenge really is not with Jesus, it's with the church? And you come here on rare occasion because you know it makes mom or grandma or somebody else happy and you're here and we'll see you at Christmas. But, it, but in between, you're not here because you wonder, is there really life here? I'd like to address that for just, just a minute. Let me show you what it might look like, okay? I love that. I, I, I love two parts of that. I, I, I look at that and, and it makes me feel so old. <laughs> I, I can barely read that fast, much less type that fast. But the other thing I love about it is that I identify with that, with those doubts, with that desire to have a safe place to talk. And we're not afraid of doubts here. We have slow hearts. And even when they burn again and again, we don't want to confuse our road with the road to despair. Or our road with the American dream. You see, if you join us these next several weeks, we want to talk about how Jesus sounds good, but I'm just not sure. Because we believe that our hope rises from the dead. Our hope walks with us. We don't have to get it right. Right has come to us and could come to you. Holy Jesus, thank you that you are here in ways that we cannot even see. Thank you that you want us to live and love forever and ever, starting this Easter morning. In the ancient world, uh, sometimes they were afraid to portray their faith, so they put little fish signs and that was a sign or a little, they went like this on their, but as more of them started to gather, they started to say, I can say who I am. They, I can say he is risen and the person that responds to me will say, he is risen indeed. I'll see somebody else and I'll say, he is risen and they'll say, and finally I'll turn to a whole group of people and I'll say, I'm walking down the road and he is risen. He is risen Go. Go and live like that.